Yep, all set. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 95 of the podcast, and we are so excited to have you here and so much to get to today. We are going to talk about the ECHL season opener. You can watch it all on Flow Hockey. If you haven't yet, subscribe today. There's not just the ECHL, but all the other great hockey that you can find on Flow Hockey. We've had some great college games, some really good junior games as well. But we're getting ready to start the professional season with both the ECHL and the SPHL on Flow Hockey this year. And it all gets underway on Thursday, October 19th. And really excited to have a a guest that's going to help us today to preview this ECHL season. And he's really one of the premier voices uh, on the ECHL. You can read his work at the Journal Gazette in Fort Wayne. You can also read him on Flow Hockey now as our featured columnist for the ECHL, and you can also listen to him on THN on the E in uh, in podcast form, uh, which is a great way to keep up with the league. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce Justin Cohn to the Talking Hockey Sense audience. And Justin, welcome to the program, and thanks for joining us this week. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me, Chris. All right. Well, for those that don't know yet, Justin has uh, been churning out some incredible preseason content for us on flow hockey every single team is hit tons of notes tons of nuggets of news that will help you prepare if you haven't caught up with all the transactions well good good luck doing that anyway that's how things go in the echl we do the best we can to keep them up to date but that's the way things go the rosters are going to change but we are really excited to have the opening night coming your way on flow hockey so before i get into the the season preview justin you've been covering the echl for quite a long time and and have you know seen it all you're in fort wayne which is one of the oldest professional hockey markets in the country um and so before we get started i i wanted to ask you what's the best part about covering the echl what is what is the thing you enjoy most about covering this league because if as far as i can tell um, it's ever changing and always interesting, and there's really never uh, no day is the same. So, but but what do you enjoy most about covering this league? Well, you know, uh, I grew up in the Detroit area, and of course, we were Red Wing fans, and all my friends and family are NHL fans, so they do have kind of a difficult time understanding maybe the charm of of covering the minor leagues. So, you know, it's it's just different. You know, there's there's different buildings, there's different expectations about what you're going to see, um, you know, in Fort Wayne, they want winning hockey, you know, they want, they want cups, they want championships, they want fights. They want all those things that we associate with minor league hockey. And then, you know, Fort Wayne's been in the league since, you know, 2012. And now they finally have started to see this is a developmental league too. Mm -hmm. So it's a long winded answer to what you're asking, but it's a whole mix of things, you know, are we seeing future stars? What are they like at this level as they're still trying to learn the game and, and understand the playing three games in three nights, you know, stuff that they didn't have to do in college yeah. or wherever they came from and mix that with all of the things that you get with minor league hockey. I mean, there are just, sometimes you just, something ridiculous will happen that just <laughs> doesn't happen at the NHL level. You know, whether it is, you know, some happening on a bus ride or, you know, you've got some travel delay and you're having to somehow hike it, you know, 1,200 miles just to get to some playoff game or something happens in the stands, you know, and some of these things when you're going through it as a reporter, they're like hard to digest and they're very difficult to report. But then you just kind of sit back a week later and you're just kind of like laughing about it. Like, I can't believe that happened. (laughs) And then, to, to get back to what I'm saying, then I'll call up my father or my brother and try to explain it to them. And they don't really get it because they're not, you know, they're NHL people. So I don't know if that answers it, but there's just so much kooky stuff that goes on. And there is great opportunities for storytelling and, and watching future prospects, too. Yeah, I mean, so such a great cast of characters in the ECHL. Lots of different personalities, lots of coaches that have you've you've got the grizzled coach that's been just you know, going at every different level for, for 20 years. And you've got all these other things that are just crazy, but you also have at the heart of it, 
professional hockey. And if you've never been to an ECHL game, um, first of all, they're very fun. <laughs> they're, they're a lot of fun. There's a lot of excitement. You know, is it the NHL? No, it's not supposed to be. And it's and that's kind of the fun of it is that you are going to see different things throughout the year. Now, now Fort Wayne, where you're based, is is really kind of ground zero for professional hockey in the Midwest. Um, you look at different different things in terms of especially at the minor league level, you know, the Fort Wayne Comets have existed for 70 plus years. Um, you know, in various leagues, the IHL, the CHL, you know, the ECHL, so many different levels. Um, but, you know, I did want to ask you, what's it like covering such a historic franchise where you say, you know, there's an expectation level from the fans that they're competing for championships. There's definitely um, a, a feeling around that that the Fort Wayne Comets are, are very much a part of not just Fort Wayne, but just that entire area in terms of the whole hockey market. I mean, most of the youth hockey organizations around there, are, you know, can, can kind of tr- trace their roots back to the Fort Wayne Comets. And you know, they've had legendary broadcasters. They've had legendary players. But what's it been like for you now in in a modern era of the league to cover such a historic team? I mean, I, I say this and I'm not trying to like, you know, pump my own tires here, but I feel like this answers the question. We cover it like an NHL team. I mean, yeah. we'll have stories almost daily. Uh, if I'm not at the road game, then we're figuring out a way to cover it remotely. So that goes back to 72 years of history. It goes back to just the interest in this team. And, you know, I just haven't seen another team, certainly at the AA level, that gets covered the way Fort Wayne does. So it's sort of a unique market in that respect. I mean, uh, this is my 27th season. I haven't missed a playoff game. And in that time, they've only missed the playoffs twice. So, uh, you know, I guess find another market where it gets that sort of coverage. I'd be interested to hear it. So it is very unique. Right. The expectations are incredibly high every year with the fans. I mean, if they're not competing for a championship, I mean, they, they're they're just going to jump off cliffs here. So it's, <laughs> it's just a very different market. And, you know, you said it's ground zero. I'm sure people in Toledo, Ohio would argue with that. Um, but you know, that's just the way it feels here, you know, so 10 championships, uh, five different leagues. I mean, it's, it's just an anomaly to me here. Yeah. And, and no disrespect to Toledo, cause it's, it's been a, a tremendous hockey market and they've, they've gone through a lot of different teams. It just seems like the, the Comets as a franchise have been the mainstay, whereas Toledo has certainly had, you know, the storm, the gold diggers, unreal name, um, uh, you know, the, the, the walleye now. And and you look at those two markets, and they're so dedicated. And and to your point, you know, covering it like an NHL team means means that there has to be that level of interest in it. And there is no question that that's the case in Fort Wayne. You look at you know those games between Fort Wayne and Toledo, often games that that we'll see you know huge spikes and and watching people you know just seeing all these games, and we'll get a lot more interaction from from those fan bases. They really do care and. Um, you know, and I think that it's starting to grow in a lot of other markets. Now, as we head into this season, um, there's a lot of great storylines across the ECHL. I mean, there's certainly, you know, we, we've got some kind of unique situations with the, the way players are being sent down. You know, every single year, we usually will have one of the top goaltending prospects in hockey in the ECHL over the course of a season. Or, you know, we have guys like like Ryan Fanty last year was a, an undrafted free agent just getting his feet wet in pro hockey. And he had a very eventful season last year, which was a lot of fun, I'm sure, for you to cover because it was fun for us to to share some of the hijinks from his season. But, you know, we, we also are seeing um, a team in the in the Florida Everblades that are coming into the season as the two time defending champion with, a you know, nobody's ever three peated uh, on the Kelly Cup, at least. Um, and and so they've got a really interesting um, opportunity in front of them as a franchise uh, last year it was both the florida panthers their nhl affiliate and themselves in their championship series um with you know florida falling just sort of the panthers falling just short of the stanley cup but florida wins their second straight uh kelly cup and you know you recently had a chance to to kind of take a look at at, at the, their recipe for success and i just wonder based on you know what you've seen and what you've you, what you've heard from you know the coaching staff and just kind of observing as, as an interested observer in the ECHL, what it is that does make a team like them so successful? Well, I mean, there's, there's a recipe to success that sounds pretty easy, but for, you know, very few people have been able to pull it off. Um, you know, first of all, you have to have good coaching. Brad Ralph is the coach there. 
Um, he's been tearing up the record books, especially when it comes to playoffs. Uh, he's generally regarded to be the best coach in the league. And I think when I say that, it's on a number of levels. It's not just X's and O's, but it's his rapport with the players. I mean, people want to go play for the Everblades. Um, they obviously have a good relationship with their NHL, AHL affiliates, the Panthers and Charlotte. And good relationship means to me not just you're getting players, but you know when you're getting them and potentially how long you're going to have them for. So, you know, I'm in Fort Wayne right now. They've got 11 contracted guys. I don't know that we know how long they're going to be here. They could get called up in two weeks or or two months. Uh, But when you're a coach and, you know, in Fort Wayne, like he's got to have a good idea. Okay. If I cut a bunch of great guys that I, that I, you know, went and recruited, am I going to regret this in two weeks because I'm going to be looking for free agents. So in Florida, I feel like there's a good communication. He knows, okay, we've got two really good goalies on AHL contracts, Cam Johnson, uh, Evan Cormier. uh, Can I rely on one or both these guys being here for any length of time? So if you have that good relationship, it allows you to build um, a, a competent roster. And then beyond that, they've had a nucleus of returning guys. Uh, you know, the last couple of years, it was guys like Lefko Coper and Blake Winicky. Um, so if you have five, six guys who've been around, they want to win because they're getting later in their careers and they help drive the ship and they help keep everybody in line and they get the coach's message so that they aren't tuning out that coach's message. Because if you hear the same thing every day, you eventually tune it out. Um, I think those are the big keys to the success of Florida over the last couple of years. And if you look at them this year, it seems to be more of the same. Some of that nucleus of the older guys, maybe the names have changed, but they've still got it. And then the one thing that's maybe a work in progress, and Brad Ralph will tell you this, is the defensive courts. You know, it's a little bit younger, new faces. You know, maybe that's the thing where there's going to have to be some more teaching and uh, a bit of a learning curve this year. But you know, that's the recipe in Florida. Sounds easy enough, but we see very few play, very few teams, excuse me, pull that off year after year. Yeah, no question about it. And I mean, you know, one of the amazing things about Brad Ralph, too, is, you know, he's it's it feels like he's been around forever. It feels like he's been in the pro coaching and he started, you know, started in the SPHL as a head coach um, back in 2010. He's only 43 years old, you right. know, and he's already yeah. got these two titles and, you know, he's not. He's not a name that we hear a ton about, you know, moving up the ranks. But with the level of success that he's had, you know, you'd have to think that there's got to be some potential for him to to move on just because of the amount of success that he's had, the culture that they've built in Florida. And, you know, they just don't accept anything less than, you know, a, a maximum yeah. effort. And you look at last year, too, going into the playoffs, not as, you know, the they weren't the favorites. They certainly had the experience. They certainly had the goaltending. And then, you know, Cam Johnson certainly uh, shut the door for him and and did it again. And to know that he's at least back in the interim, and you never know if he'll get called up to the AHL. But if he is, you know, that's a, that's a guy that could potentially, you know, he could ride all the way to a, another Kelly Cup. So if they're able to do it, that's going to be one of the big storylines of the entire season is watching that team. And certainly Brad Ralph will be there. Uh, Justin wrote a, a great story and, and, and a kind of, Detail some of this uh, recipe. You'll be able to see that on Flow Hockey uh, ahead of opening day here. So the other thing that I think is interesting coming into this season is, you know, last year we had the Idaho Steelheads, which which was a historic team in terms of the, um, the amount of wins that they piled up, um, you know, most wins, most points. I mean, you know, regular season champions, they, they make it to the final, lose to Florida in the final. Um, you know, they'll be looking to bounce back. A ton of guys from that team are back. They have a few key losses that will certainly impact them. Um, but in addition to Idaho and Florida, you know, who are some of the teams that you've kind of got your eye on that could potentially make some noise this year? It's always difficult to predict at this time of year because of the amount of roster turnover that we could see over the course of a season. And if you think, you know, NHL general managers have a tough job. I don't know if there's anybody in, on planet Earth that has as tough a job as an ECHL head coach who's also typically the general manager of the team. Um, there, there are usually upwards of 70 transactions uh, over the course of, of sometimes it feels like a month, but usually over the course of a season, um, you know, sometimes more, sometimes it's in the hundreds. Uh, but, 
you know, just knowing that, who are some of the teams, at least in the initial look, as you kind of were putting your your preseason uh, content together, that you think have a chance to really step up this year? Well, the Jacksonville Icemen are a team I like a lot. Like you go up and down their lineup, um, you know, just a lot of nice players. Uh, you know, on defense, they've got toughness, guys like Jack Van Bokel. Uh, uh, on the forward line is just, it's sort of an embarrassment of riches to me. Uh, Easton Brodzinski, Matheson Nacapelli, Derek Lodemeyer, Christopher Brown. I mean, they're really stacked and check all the boxes, whether it's toughness, whether it's goaltending. Uh, they got uh, Mike Vernon's kid, uh, uh, Matt Vernon. Uh, so I like that roster. You know, that whole South division, though, it's going to be a gauntlet. I mean, so many good teams there, whether it's South Carolina, Greenville. Um, I feel like Savannah is now that they've had a year under their belt, they're going to be a lot better. Um, but other teams, you know, Allen, I am shocked they were able to bring back as many guys as they brought back last year. Now, you talked about Idaho. Idaho was very much, to me, driven by the defense. Yeah. Allen was like the opposite, driven by the yeah. offense, and they're in the same division. And they lost Hank Crone, who was maybe the best player in the league last year, but they brought back a bunch of guys that really helped drive that offense. Liam Finley, Colton Hargrove, those are just a couple guys. And, you know, they just got Matt Marcineau. I feel like they did make some improvements on the defense. So they're kind of an X factor out there that I like. And then the Cincinnati Cyclones brought back a bevy of players from last year from the team that won the division championship. Zach Andrusiak, Justin Vive, Louis Caparuso, uh, Jalen Smerick. So they look really stacked too, but that whole division is going to be really tough because, yeah. you know, we're not sure, you know, Toledo's got a lot of guys back, but they've got a new coach. Fort Wayne's got a new coach, but on paper, they look like a behemoth. Um, Indy has been on the upswing. I think Kalamazoo might be, end up being the most improved team in the league. So that whole division's a gauntlet too. But to sum it up, I'd say keep an eye on Allen, uh, keep an eye on Cincinnati, and really keep an eye on Jacksonville. And then if you want another team that might be sneaky good, I'd say the Adirondack Thunder. Mm. Yeah, Ad Adirondack was party to one of the most thrilling days of hockey you could possibly imagine. They came down to the last day of the season. They needed you know, at least one point to advance to the playoffs. And the, the team that they were playing ended up pulling their goalie with the game tied because they needed two points to get into the playoffs. And uh, uh, an overtime win was not going to cut it. They pull the goalie, Adirondack scores. They get the last spot into the playoffs. And then, you know, unfortunately for them, run into to, was it Newfoundland that that knocked them right out. So, but, but right. Adirondack's going to be really interesting. And, and, and you know what? We'll also one team that I think is also going to be interesting that I wanted to bring up just because it's a different scenario. Um, the Norfolk Admirals were among the last place teams in the league last year. They they really struggled throughout the entire season. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the Carolina Hurricanes and how they aren't going to have an AHL team this year. That they had a falling out with the Chicago Wolves. The Chicago Wolves are going independent. And that's actually where Hank Crone is right now. He's with the Chicago Wolves, the MVP of the ECHL last year. You know, gets an opportunity with an unaffiliated team. And Norfolk is now going to have, uh, potentially, we're still waiting to find out exactly who's all going to be there. But Carolina has has sent some NHL contracted players to Norfolk in, a, in, a, in an agreement. With, they don't have an, a set ECHL affiliate, but they did secure an agreement to send players to Norfolk um, and so that's going to be a, a very interesting kind of dynamic. Um, you know, I think like Dom Fensori is one of the players that was sent down there. He signed last season out of Boston university. You know, there's going to be a couple of other guys that are, that are down in the, uh, in, in that team. Um, but how that dynamic works, we'll have to wait and see, but that is another team. Um, and then also a couple of the teams that you mentioned, Cincy and Jacksonville flopped NHL affiliates. Um, with with Jacksonville getting the Buffalo and now uh, Cincinnati getting New York, the Rangers. So there's kind of that little interesting dynamic there. And both of those teams actually did send a fair amount of guys um, to their respective ECHL teams. So always, always interesting to see. But Buffalo in particular has been typically sent quite a few guys down 
to the ECHL and how does that help Jacksonville in the end? So really great stuff there. Um, you know, I, I think can I, there's, can I say there's something on can I say something on Norfolk? Yeah, so yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. I mean, look, Norfolk's been in the cellar for seemingly forever. And yeah. even before all this affiliation stuff, I kind of liked the direction they were going because they were not that bad, like the second half of last season. Right. And you can tell that they were like, okay, we're going to figure out what we like here. We're going to bring those guys back. And then they get the, I believe it's Winnipeg affiliation. Mm-hmm. So theoretically, they're going to get guys from there. And I went through something not totally dissimilar from this, where I was dealing with a team that had two, like one affiliate, it was Vegas. And then there was a secondary, which was Los Angeles. And in my experience covering that, like it was sort of nice because you obviously get more players, but where it got interesting was with the goalies because theoretically you're always going to have at least one contracted goalie. And in that case, maybe they have two. And then you've got the NHL teams kind of saying, well, we want our guy playing more often. So that's kind of the one thing that I would really keep an eye on is do they have two goalies Who's getting the most playing time? And oftentimes, you know, coaches always say, oh, it's not a big deal because you're playing three and three every weekend in this league anyway. So it's not like guys not going to be playing forever. But I, I'd say that's one thing to really watch is, is the goaltending there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just, it, it can be a bit of a unique dynamic. And certainly it's not, it's not unprecedented for teams to have multiple, uh, multiple affiliates and or, you know, have have agreements with teams that will send players there. And and I, I'm fascinated to see how it all all plays out. But as you mentioned, too, you know, Norfolk was awful at the beginning of the season and then really did come on in the second half last year. They'll have a lot of new faces and it'll be interesting to see, you know, a lot of there, there was quite a bit of shuffling of affiliates this year. You know, Nashville was with Norfolk last year. Now they're with Atlanta. So there's all sorts of uh, fun stuff that happens with that. But you know, before we, uh, you know, get to kind of some other some other topics that I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, the ECHL at its core is a developmental league. It is, it, you know, they're developing players for certain steps. And we've seen actually a number of NHL teams start to more start to more aggressively use their ECHL team. And one one such team is uh, Toronto. And that was more under Kyle Dubas, who is now with Pittsburgh. And they've Pittsburgh has often had quite a few contracted players that end up playing for the Wheeling Nailers, which has been a longtime affiliate for them as well. But, you know, we, we saw it with Newfoundland, you know, they, they won their championship in the first year um, of their, of their existence. You know, they, they opted out of the, the pandemic year, but otherwise they've always made the playoffs and often with a number of, of, of Maple Leafs prospects on there. Do you think, you know, having seen the success of Newfoundland and how that has also translated, the Marlies went on a deep playoff run last year as well in the AHL. You know, do you, do you think that maybe the ECHL has been underutilized in the past, and as we see more like this, there's there's potential for for you know better prospects to come down and and, and get some experience in the ECHL. I mean, there's there's no doubt it hasn't been utilized enough. Um, you know, if the goal is to someday, and I've got my own issues with this, but if the goal is to get to something closer to baseball, you know, a true three tiered system. Um, then yeah, you. Why would you not have as many guys as you can get? Just let's stash them in Double A and see if they if they pan out. So I think you're seeing more of that now. I mean, it, it is really like the the recipe to success now is you have a younger team of developmental players, and the whole league is just trending younger than it was ten years ago, where everybody still had that nucleus of minor league lifers, if you will, you know, the, the 28 to 32 year old guys. I mean, now you see teams, they're like, we don't even need to have the maximum four veterans. Like we don't even care about that. We'll throw a captaincy on a a kid that's 23. Um, So yeah, I think teams are starting to embrace that more. And that starts at the NHL level with deciding, okay, we're going to pay some money. We'll have a more expansive minor league system. We'll put guys in the double A level, but then you see other teams like St. Louis, which has just never been a big believer in having a double A affiliate kind of sitting out there and like, you know, what do we need to do that for? So, you know, I I don't know. You can, you can argue at both sides. I mean, there were 74 former ECHL players on NHL 
opening night rosters. Most of those guys, if you really look at it, though, they only had a cup of coffee in the ECHL level. So I don't know. You could spin that either direction and say, well, look, you know, obviously we're developing players, but you could spin it the other direction and say, yeah, but are you? So (laughs) from a building the team perspective, of course, when you're at this level, you want uh, as many contracted guys as you can get because – it saves you, it relieves your salary cap burden. You know, that's a huge reason. It gets For you sure. more talent. Um, you're not having to do the recruiting work and all that. But, you know, coaches, of course, they lose the ability to manage their roster some when they do that. So, again, the Fort Wayne example, they've got 11 guys right now. We're not used to that number. And it's a mix of excitement and nervousness because you just <laughs> don't know what's going to happen because of that. But, you know, to use your example, Newfoundland and the Maple Leafs, yeah, I think that's becoming a little bit more of the way. I don't think it'll become totally that way where you just kind of hand over the reins until the NHL teams start buying the ECHL teams, and that's where it could get a little dicier. Great point. The, the most, most, if not all, all ECHL teams are independently owned um, in terms of, you know, these are these – are, in a lot of cases, local businesses, these are, or, or their conglomerates that, that, you know, have, have ownership just in that specific team. And, and, you know, the bottom line is tickets. The bottom line is, is ad revenue. It's all these different things. What I will say, and, and, and we're going to get into ownership in just a second, because something real interesting has been happening in the league the last little bit here. But one of the things that, that I think is important as well is that the ECHL has now become a proven developmental path for goalies. We've, you know, Stuart Skinner was an a- NHL All-Star last year. He played some time in the, in the ECHL. The Detroit Red Wings had Sebastian Cosa, their goalie of the future, in Toledo for the entire season, um, which was, you know, very beneficial to him. And then even, you know, they still were able to, you know, they, they ended up signing John Leatherman to a, an AHL contract as well, and or an NHL contract. And, and now they've they've really kind of built that pipeline. You know, Uka Pekalukanen's another guy who played when, when Buffalo was with Cincinnati. Um, and we're going to continue to see that. Yeah, Yuri Patera, is, uh, I just saw him in an AHL game. You know, he was with you guys in uh, in Fort Wayne not all that long ago and, and with that team. And and so, yeah, so I, I think that for me personally, I think one of the things that NHL teams and ha- have to get over, and I think the players have to get over as well, is sometimes there is that stigma. There's this uh, this this kind of, I'm not going down. That's that's a that's it for me. I'm not going down there. But when when in the fact of the matter is, is you can still learn to be a pro. In the fact, you can almost learn better because you're going to be put in better situations than you might have been in the AHL level. And so I, I think, and and I do think that that tiered system, sim, more similar to baseball, those guys that come straight from junior, that jump to the AHL is huge. It's same for the guys from college, and just getting into a rhythm of of learning how to be a pro, learning how to prepare having some veteran players on your team that can kind of take you under your wing. I think there's a tremendous amount of value in, in that opportunity. So, um, but I did want to talk about this very interesting development across the ECHL in the last little bit, there have been um, some ownership shuffling and there's also an expansion team coming in Lake Tahoe and let, I don't know if, uh, if you can get a transfer uh, out of Fort Wayne to Lake Tahoe for, for the coverage (laughs) there, but uh, I think people will be clamoring for that one. Um, But Tim Tebow is going to be part of that ownership group. And then we also saw Miles Jack become uh, the former Jacksonville Jaguar, an NFL player who retired like six weeks prior from the NFL, um, become the majority owner of the Allen Americans. So now we're starting to see this kind of celebrity element coming into the ECHL from an ownership perspective. There are ties between both of those, um, those situations, and also with a couple of other NH- uh, ECHL teams. But I mean, it is pretty interesting to see. You're starting to see these big name uh, investors uh, buying into the ECHL. What do you make of it? Yeah, I don't know what to make of it because I don't know how much of a role they end up having in the day to day. You know that that's the thing. Like, there's always this big splash. Um, you know, when you get, you know, I think it was PK Subban was one. You know, and, and you make a big announcement. So, like Tim Tebow, let's use that. You know. Hey, that's great. That gets you huge national news. And, but I don't know, is he going to have anything to do with the team beyond that? You know, I hope so. So, you know, I think it's good publicity for the league. Um, but I don't know how often I've actually sat there and, and seen like on social media, for instance, 
these these you know these former pro athletes really trumpeting what's going on with their team in the ECHL. Maybe it's happening and I'm missing it. So I would like to see a little bit more, at least public involvement, if we're going to have these big names, because the league could certainly use the exposure. Um, but in a general sense, you know, the ownership, because I do get this asked this a lot, boy, should I be concerned with all these teams changing hands? Um, you know, I think actually what we've seen has been pretty good because as you mentioned, they are small businesses and you yeah. want to make sure that they are on great footing and the pandemic hammered people. So, yeah. you know, there are teams, you know, look at Newfoundland, Trois-Rivières. I mean, that whole situation totally changed um, in the pandemic. And then there was other things going on, but the pandemic, I mean, the travel costs, you know, that was one thing like yeah. that was before it was supposed to be, um, you know, Newfoundland was going to help alleviate the travel costs, but then the pandemic happens and you come out of it and they're like, all right, we need some help from the league on this whole thing. So in, in a general sense, a bunch of ownership changes usually makes me nervous because I've covered so many leagues that got that folded or got absorbed. But in this particular case, I think we're seeing strengthening of the teams, you know, finding people in yeah. those markets that are going to be more invested. And that's overall a good thing. But as for the I, celebrity I, aspect of it, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It, it only matters if they make it matter. Right. So, yeah. And I, I think that that's that's a really good point, too. I do think that the league is is certainly in a position of strength. Um, we saw that, you know, in their in their summer meetings, they did increase the number of potential expansion markets that that the the limit has been lifted, essentially not lifted. It's it's but it's been raised so that it's more in line. You know, there are fewer ECHL teams than there are AHL and NHL teams, um, which is why we start seeing some of these doubling ups and different things. So very fascinating. But, you know, when you see it, you know, like, you know, Miles Jack is, you know, the first black owner in the ECHL. And and that's a kind of that's a very interesting thing. A majority owner. Anson Carter has a has a piece of the Atlanta Gladiators. You know, now you've got Tebow. There's all these different kind of little connections that that help. And I, and I think, you know, there's also a connection. All those guys are kind of Florida, Jacksonville adjacent. Um, and, uh, you know, that the Zoyer sports entertainment, which is actually going to be doing a lot of the operational work for that team is, is, is Jacksonville based. So, you know, I, I do think that that's going to be interesting to kind of watch and see how, how there is, you know, if there is much in, um, involvement in different things, but I'll tell you what, that, well, that, and, that, go ahead. Sorry, Justin. Well, I was going to say, well, just two, two quick points. So, you know, first of all, it, it's incredible that it, it had been almost 20 years since the first uh, African-American owner of a hockey team. That was Herb Washington yeah. in the Central Hockey League. So it's it's incredible it's been that long. So, yes, that's very much a positive thing. Um, but you're mentioning the expansion, and, and just, you know, sometimes it does make me a little bit nervous. Like, yeah, Lake Tahoe's there, but who are they going to play? You know, like, because everybody keeps telling us Utah is going to be in the NHL someday. And, right. you know, we got Trois-Rivières and Newfoundland kind of off on an island. And I just wanted to bring it up because I covered the original IHL. And you know what killed the original IHL was it became a nationwide league. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah. it was yeah. a bit more than that. It was – it became big markets, so, you know yeah. – a city like Fort Wayne was, it's funny we say this, but at the time it was like, oh no, we're going to be competing with Orlando, you know, like, so here <laughs> we are. And, yeah. But it became big markets, you know, it had been like Dayton and then it becomes, you know, like Cleveland and Detroit, the Detroit Vipers, and they were spending tons of money. But one big thing was it became a nationwide league and the travel costs became unbearable. And then yeah, they try to keep the travel costs in line here, but you're still making at least one, probably two, you know, long trips during the regular season where you have to fly instead of bus. And then in the playoffs, all bets are off. So if you are Allen, let's just say, I mean, let's think about that for a second. You're Allen. You could have to play Idaho in the first round. Oh, okay. That's not bad. Tulsa in the second round. Okay. It's not that bad. You know, but then all of a sudden you're going to Toledo little bit farther. Yeah. And then what if you have to play like Newfoundland in the finals? I mean, the travel can get crazy. And so when we're spitting out all these other markets, yeah, it's nice to have the numbers aligned with the NHL, but these are small businesses and you have to remember that part too. And I'm not always sure they've learned the lessons of the leagues that have died. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to see. Cause I think that this will be, 
it is interesting to to kind of watch it unfold um you know here and and seeing how you know how the league grows and obviously you know the, this league is is much more divisional based as well there's a lot more but you're right once you get to the playoffs it's a whole different story um, i mean in and, baseball and the, you're you're playing yeah. your whole playoff you know within your division within your region yeah. you're not yeah. now adding on a whole playoff where you're going across the country you know like right, fort wayne right, isn't right. going to have to play lake elsinore in the playoffs so that is a difference between baseball <laughs> yeah. and hockey they need to be careful yeah. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to watch, and, and certainly uh, that. But before I get you out of here, I you know the ECHL we talked about you know great characters, great you know you've talked about some of the kookier things that that have happened. I want you know your dealer's choice here. I'm going to say what is either the the most memorable or the craziest story that you've covered in your time covering the ECHL, um, and they may not be the same thing. But you you let me know what you want to dive in on well, here. do they do they have to be positive that's the big question well i i <laughs> dealer dealer's choice you, you, i mean i mean i'm just gonna say the first thing that jumps to mind and maybe it's just because it's in recent history but in, in the playoffs last year there was the the hotel the bed bugs incident um oh, that gosh. kind of that kind of jumps out um you know so that's one thing where you know in traveling at this level uh, you know, I don't know if you want me to tell the whole story, but, you know, traveling at this level, it can be interesting. And there was a team that ended up, you know, uh, with a uh, not great travel situation. And they ended up sleeping at the arena. And that was like a story that I'm hearing at like three in the morning. It's not even a team I cover. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, that was right. a very ECHL moment. Um, but, you know, more positively, you know. Gosh, there's a lot. You know, I covered a cup in 2021 and, you know, the things Fort Wayne went through just to play that season and the travel. I wish I remember the number. It was like 12,000 miles that they had to travel just in the playoffs. And, you know, just to pull off these games, you know, there was they played a game in the practice arena in um, Wichita and there was no glass in some sections and the puck could actually hit the ceiling, you know, if they were trying to do a high dump. I mean, that was craziness. And then in the finals, again, they had to play in a practice arena in South Carolina because they were filming um, the righteous gemstones at the Charleston Coliseum. So I mean, <laughs> like that, you know, stuff like, you know, this doesn't happen in the NHL. And then, you know, Fort Wayne's, you know, they're busing and they're busing to Allen, yet they flew Dylan Ferguson down there because they wanted him to be more comfortable. And then he gets down there and then he loses the first game and just wild stuff during that whole run. Um, and then just one last thing. I mean, just, this is sort of in between, you know, wildly positive and negative. Sean Sidlowski and AJ Jenks. That is one of the memorable stories for me where Sidlowski was Fort Wayne's best player. And they, they go play in Toledo, the biggest rivalry and Jenks with a knee on knee hit um, blows out his knee. And then they don't meet again until the next season. And then Sidlowski and Jenks fight because of course they're both old school players. So they fight. And then two years later, Jenks comes and joins Fort Wayne and they're now teammates. And then I do this big story and I come to find out that not only that, they were good friends like when they were kids. And like, so like, so the, your friends, your teammates as kids, your hated enemies in the pros, one of them breaks your knee, you end up fighting, then you join the same team, you hug it out and then win a championship together. I mean, like stuff like that is kind of wild yeah. too. So, you know, all yeah. kinds of funny stuff. And that's just for the last couple of years. Yeah, hockey, hockey, and and certainly at the professional level, and these it creates these very unique circumstances. Um, but in the end, I think a lot of these guys, you know, they they put it all out there on the ice, and then they leave it on the ice, and then uh, all of a sudden it's it's back to uh, back to to the good times. But yeah, I mean, you know, Fort Wayne is certainly one of the more unique franchises, and I'm sure it's just a blast to to cover this league. Um, and we're excited to have you here at, at Flow Hockey uh, doing some. Uh, several stories a month for us and, and power rankings. And it, it's going to be a lot of fun for, for us to have you and to get your musings on, on the league. Cause there's uh there's no shortage of stories to tell and things to write about. So uh, Justin Cohn, uh, thanks very much. You can follow him at sports. Icon on Twitter. And then also make sure you're checking out all of his work at uh, the journal Gazette at 
the THN on the E podcast and now on Flow Hockey. Justin Cohen, thanks so much for joining us on Talking Hockey Sense. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, there goes Justin, and we're so thankful for uh, him to hop on with us. A very busy man this time of year as we get set for the ECHL season, and I can't wait to to, to do it. But, yeah, I mean, some of these uh, – some of the great stories around the league. Uh, we're, we're excited to find out just how much, uh, um, you know, how different this year is going to be from the last. You never really know until the things get going and we'll get there. But uh, just really quickly wanted to share some few prospect thoughts because we are typically a prospect podcast and wanted to do that. So um, there's a couple of interesting stories going on right now in the prospect world. And one that's probably caught the most attention right now is the NHL's potential proposal to decentralize the NHL draft, which is to say the teams will stay at a home base or a war room somewhere. The players uh, and media and everybody else will be at a draft. Um, And I've heard a lot of mixed reviews. I've talked to scouts that like the idea, that hate the idea. Um, You know, I think that general managers, there's been a lot made about the fact that general managers go basically from NHL awards to NHL draft to free agency immediately. Um, And that's just the way it's set up. It's a very compressed schedule. It's very difficult to kind of get everything together. Um, Here's my thing. I think the NHL draft is one of the best drafts there is, especially the first round. I think the bringing the jersey, shaking the commissioner's hand, and then going with your new team, shaking the general manager's hand, the owner, the scouts that were out there, you know, one of the big moments for a scout in their career is their team is making a first round pick. They're picking the player that he recommended. He's among the people that goes up onto the staff. He or she uh, is among the people that goes up onto the dais and, and is able to have that moment. And, and I've heard many describe that as such a big part of their career and such a memorable time when you know you you go up there and it's it's an area scout and you've recommended this player and they say hey you're you're part of the group coming up on, on stage with us we want you to be part of it and then you know you get this magical moment in your career and all that hard work that you've put in all the time on the road you know you now have that moment um, doesn't always happen by the way not everybody brings up their entire you know some some teams will bring up almost the entire scouting staff some will bring up you know a couple of guys. Um, but it's usually a tell. If you ever wanted to kind of handicap who the pick might be, take a look. If you know who your area scouts are, take a look and see if they're heading up to the stage. But maybe that won't be a possible anymore. Um, and I personally think that the NHL, that's an event that the NHL gets very, very right. And it's not something that we often say about the NHL in terms of, you know, the, the various things that they do. Obviously, you know, things like Winter Classic, All-Star Game, they do, they do the big events really well. And I think the draft is one of those things. And, and you know, I, I the change can be fine. I think, you know, it'll be up to the owners in the end. Um, but I do think that the, what the draft does in the NHL is unique to, to the NHL. And I don't think they should be going to rush to try to be football or baseball or any of those sports with the draft. Um, another prospect note that I wanted to share, Dalibor Dvorsky, First round pick of the St. Louis Blues um, is leaving Sweden and he will be joining the OHL Sudbury Wolves. So uh, the Sudbury Wolves are going to, they've got a really good team. They've got a team that's going to contend for the OHL title this year. They've got a number of of first round draft picks on their roster. They have some good young players and now they're adding Dalibor Dvorsky. I believe they're going to have to make another corresponding move um, because they're already at their import limit. So they'll have to bring him in. But basically what happened, Dvorsky's ice time, fluctuated a lot um, with IK Oscar Schmidt. I can never say it. I, 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 I know a lot of the Swedish names, but I, I can't do it. I usually say Oksharman, which is not true. That's not how you say it. Uh, but anyway, it's probably way easier than I'm making it out to be. But was playing at the SHL this year. He had played last season in the All-Svenskin, second division. You know, ha- wasn't getting great ice time. I think it was like a minus six or so. Um, and then in his last two games, he he played like two two shifts and one shift, and it's not a good situation. So um, the the team agreed to terminate his his contract and his loan agreement. That allows the St. Louis Blues, who did sign him to an entry level contract, to decide where he goes. Sudbury owns his rights, so he is probably going. He is going to Sudbury. Uh, we know that already. 
Um, he is a tremendous talent. I don't think that this changes that. There are some players that aren't going to adjust to the environment, the coaching, the pro level. Um, you know, he had a great season in, in uh, the Allsvenskan last year. Now he's moving on. You know, the SHL didn't work out. Now he's going to play among his age peers, and I fully expect him to, to gain a lot of confidence after the initial adjustment period. But I think playing in North America is, is a good thing. Um, the other thing, too, is since he wasn't drafted out of the CHL, he will be able to be sent to the AHL next season. So definitely looking forward to uh, that there and seeing, um, you know, ultimately what he does this year in the OHL. Uh, but, you know, we, we fully expect Dvorsky to be a, a big player throughout the rest of the season. He'll play in the, the World Juniors. He'll get other opportunities. Uh, but that is one thing that is uh, changed at this point. So, so yeah, so very intrigued uh, by a couple of those happenings. And then we'll, you know, we'll, of course, continue to talk about um, much more prospect news in our Q&A, which we have next. And that's what we're going to move into right here, our, our listener Q&A. And again, I want to remind you, if you haven't yet, make sure you're subscribed to Flow Hockey, because I'm telling you right now, we watched some amazing college games already this year. We've got many more coming up this weekend. Then you've got pro hockey starting. You've already got junior hockey going. We've had some tremendous games at the Canadian scholastic level. I mean, there's there's so many different levels of hockey. We've got, you know, last week, this last week, we've had 600 plus games on flow hockey. It's it's amazing. So before I start answering your questions, why don't you go ahead and, you know, hop over to flowhockey.tv, grab a little, uh, you know, take, take a quick peek at the bank account, go for the subscription. I said I suggest the annual. I think it's the way to go because you get end up getting uh, paying less per month, and then also you get all this great hockey. You don't have to worry about it for the rest of the season. So I think that that's the way to go. There's going to be so many great things if you like prospects, if you like uh, pro hockey, if you like college hockey. We've got you covered. Make sure you check it out. All right, we're going to move into our our question and answer, and our first one is about the 2024 NHL draft. And this one comes from Jake. And Jake asks, what are your thoughts on Caleb Heil and who is the top goalie prospect for the 2024 draft? Really good question uh, in terms of I want to answer the first part first or the second part first, rather, about the 2024 NHL draft. Because as I've talked, you know, I'm still obviously learning the class. It's early in the season. We're trying to find players that are kind of, you know, taking a step guys that are you know playing very well and so far it's hard to really pick out the goalies that are going to stand out but to answer Jake's question about the goalie that he did ask about uh Caleb Heil he's currently playing for the Sioux Falls Stampede so you can obviously watch him on flow hockey um but he's he's appeared in four games so far three and one record um and, and a 900 save percentage he was the goalie for Team USA at the Holinka Gretzky Cup they won the bronze medal there that doesn't happen very often um, so it was a really good start to his season. So he's definitely, people are taking notice of him. They're watching him pretty carefully. He's playing in the the USHL. He'll probably be more in a platoon role at Sioux Falls. But as he plays, he's going to be solid. He's committed to the University of North Dakota. He's, uh, you know, I, I think that there's definitely some tools there. He's got, you know, being 6'2", um, you know, I think there's, that's what he's listed at. You know, I, I think that being on that cusp of 6'1", 6'2", kind of thing, that's where NHL teams are, you know, starting to get a little squirrely, um, which is funny because, you know, we've obviously seen a number of of of, of guys that uh, can do the job uh, at a smaller size, but it is an issue. And uh, Caleb Heil uh, is is a very intriguing prospect for the draft. I do believe he will be drafted, um, but you know, I think that it's still a bit early to tell when, you know, what's ultimately going to happen in this class because. There are so few goalies that have really popped that we're that we're paying super close attention to at this point. Um, all right, our next question comes from Mike Craddy, and he asks, "Tell me about Igor Chernyshov. Have seen some clips of him, and am very intrigued." Well, Mike, you are not alone um, in that because uh, you know I think anytime you have a Russian prospect, a Russian prospect that you know is doing some really strong things at the KHL level, um, you know, or, you know, he, he hasn't necessarily produced at the KHL level, but he certainly is uniquely talented in terms of the skill level, in terms of the skating, 
Um, you know, I think that he's got size too, which is obviously always going to make a, a player even a little bit more attractive. I think if you look around the projections right now, a lot of people are putting him as a mid first round pick. Um, I think as you look at kind of how Russian prospects are being handled and that, you know, you say, okay, well, what if he signs a longer term contract? We just saw Mikhail Gulayev, who was a first round pick of the Colorado Avalanche, sign an extension um, to play more years in the KHL. You know, you don't have as much control over their development. So that's another factor. But I think Chernisov is the kind of guy that will garner a ton of interest. He did play some KHL games last year, did score a goal there. Um, you know, didn't get a ton of minutes uh, in the KHL when he has played this season. He's had a couple games where he was given, you know, a regular shift. And and so he'll he'll bear watching. But in the in the U20 ranks, he's at nearly a point per game right now, um, you know, and, and is scoring pretty regularly. So that's a player where I think that, you know, he's definitely going to be a, a, a sought after prospect. I don't think he's the kind of prospect where you don't worry about the Russian factor as much, assuming that you, you know, as you get more information, the player feels strongly that he wants to come to North America. I think in most cases, the Russian players do want to come over. They want to test themselves against the best players in the world. Um, you know, he's, he's a, he's a late birth date from last year as well, which you do taking into consideration in terms of, you know, the, the, the different players and how they're playing this season and, and comparing and contrasting them. Um, but uh, according to elite prospects, his contract is, is up in 2025. Um, you know, and whether that whether or not that happens, we'll see. But he, he plays in the Dynamo Moscow um, program uh, and system. So it's not, you know, there's often those guys you kind of worry about certain clubs, if they're going to stay there long term or if they're not going to develop. I think uh, Moscow is, is typically, you know, they're not going to have as many restraints on him developmentally as, say, a, a St. Petersburg does on guys like Mitchkov and um, you know, they've, they've obviously started to loan out a lot of their young players just because they, they seem not to trust their young guys that much. But a very interesting prospect, one that I'm excited to follow more this year. Um, you know, obviously that's a surface level kind of uh, breakdown of him, uh, but hopefully that'll be uh, uh, sufficient for now. And then obviously as the season goes on, we'll, we'll get more and more in-depth on that. All right, our next question comes from Evan, and he asks, when does Canada usually announce U17 rosters? And will Gavin McKenna make it? So this is in regards to the World Under-17 Hockey Challenge. And I appreciate the question because it's a it's an event that I think is one of the great kind of touch points in a player's career very early on where we can start separating some of them a little bit. We saw last year James Higgins and Cole Iserman absolutely torch that tournament. We've seen years where it was Alex Ovechkin torching that tournament. Uh, I remember seeing a 15-year-old Nathan McKinnon at that tournament uh, back when I was working at USA Hockey and just seeing this this incredible talent that he was on. So the the World Under-17 Hockey Challenge this year is um, is an interesting event. It always is because we get this look. Um, the, the rosters typically will come out, I think, within the next couple of weeks here because um, the the tournament itself uh, is is – not that far away. Um, you know, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a very interesting tournament, um, in terms of just what we learn. And this year they're going to have a, uh, a number of really, uh, really good, you know, they have Sweden and they'll have Slovakia there this year, which is really fun to see. Um, you know, you have USA and then you'll have multiple Canadian, um, you know, multiple Canadian teams that will play as well. And so that's going to be another part that's uh, a lot of fun. But the, the event itself um, starts on November 2nd with the pre-tournament games. And so then that's we should see rosters very soon. To answer your question specifically about, uh, about Gavin McKenna, yes, he'll be on the team. Um, no question about it. He's already off to a great start. He's a late 2007 birth date. Um, and so that means that he's going to have to wait a little while to be drafted. Um, Gavin McKenna currently playing for Medicine Hat Tigers. Um, he is not eligible until the 2026 NHL draft. He is currently at 14 points in nine games with Medicine Hat in the WHL as a very young uh, U17 player. And so he does not turn 16 until December 20th. So he will be a 15-year-old playing in this tournament with a very late birth date. So 
Gavin McKenna, I have no doubt in my mind, will be on the roster as, you know, the 07s are, that's that's their age group. That's, you know, so he's he's young for the age group, but he's not, um, he's not an exceptional status player technically um, in, uh, uh, in the WHL. But, I mean, this is a guy that is already doing some really special things at the junior level despite his youth. And so, yes, we will see him, and I think it'll be a great opportunity to see what he's all about. Um, you know, this U-17 challenge is going to have a lot of really great players. Uh, LJ Mooney from the U.S. Uh, National Under-17 team will be there for the USA. Um, you know, I think Misa will be going back again. Um, and so that's uh, another guy who's not draft eligible until 2025. So I, I, I'm really excited to see what the, the U-17 challenge uh, brings along. And again, that starts November 2nd up in Canada. Um, it is uh, on, uh, I believe it's on Prince Edward Island. Uh, yes, it is indeed. So Prince Edward Island will get a, a great, uh, great look at the future of hockey and the teams that are participating. I misspoke earlier and said Slovakia. It's Czechia, Finland, Sweden, two Canadian teams, and then the United States. So that is who will be participating in the World Under-17 Hockey Challenge. All right, we got another prospect question. This one comes uh, to us from Mike. And Mike asks, what are your projections for Roman Kantsarov? So we've got another question on a Russian player. And so that we will, you know... Again, we're still in the early stages of learning about players for this season, but Roman Kansarov was drafted last year uh, by the Chicago Blackhawks in the second round, 44th overall. And he's a bit of an undersized player, but incredibly electric in terms of his skills. And he is playing this season in the KHL, uh, already has five points through 18 games with Metalurg. Um, and he is a very intriguing prospect. Last year, he dominated the MHL. He had 54 points in 45 games. Um, and he was one of those players that was really hard to kind of get a read on last season because you know you kind of expect him to dominate at the at the MHL level, even though he was younger, you know, as 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 just a, an an 18-year-old um at that point. He was a late 2004 birth date. And so, you know, there's he he's pretty much in line with that. But to now see him co- take that next step forward, to see him go to the KHL and to be able to play you know, a fairly regular shift at that level, kind of more of a third line role. That's a really positive thing. Um, and so, you know, what is his, what is his projection? Ultimately, I think the size factor is an issue. Um, you know, we'll have to see is how soon he comes over to North America. As of right now, he's in the last year of his KHL contract. Does he extend? Does he do anything else like that? Because, you know, the, the one thing that is difficult is to get Russian players to go into the AHL. And so that's something that, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But um, Kansarov, I think if, if, he, if he is going to make it, there's really a, a good potential for him to be a middle six scoring depth option. Um, I don't think he's going to be a star player, but I do think he's going to be a, a, a very talented and potentially deadly offensive player. Um, the question is going to be, you know, how does he overtake that size? I think he's really competitive. I think he's got good, good sp- skating ability. Um, or good enough skating ability, um, and, and I think he thinks the game at a pretty high level. So that's a player that I could see being a middle six player at the NHL level. All right, we're moving on to another question from Murray, and Murray asks, why can't a CHL player like Matthew Patra, or like the Matthew Patra situation, play in the AHL? So... Poitras is currently with the Boston Bruins. He is going to potentially stay with the Bruins. You know, he's playing very well. I don't know that necessarily that they will send him back uh, after his nine-game stint or if they'll let him go longer than that or if he maybe he just stays the whole season. Um, but the reason that he can't go to the AHL is because of his age. And there is the CHL-AHL agreement with or CHL-NHL agreement, which basically stipulates, and this is basically stipulates that any player before their age 19 season or the the their once they've played their age 19 season in the CHL um then they can go to the AHL until then they can't they have to go back to the CHL it's part of the loan agreement that that those two leagues have had and there are a couple of reasons the NHL does this this has been explained to me many times i think there are definitely situations where it it is harm not it isn't harmful necessarily to the player but where it isn't necessarily that helpful i think there's a lot more players that are el- that that are eligible or would if they were eligible could compete in the AHL but why do they send these players back 
the main reason is to kind of try it. There's, there's a couple things. First of all, it's so that the star players stay in the CHL longer. It helps with ticket sales and all those other things. So that's one reason. But another reason is because you're also trying to protect the integrity of the competition level at the CHL. Having players like last year, Logan Stankovin, for example, playing in the CHL is good for his teammates. It's good for the guys that he plays against. It's something that is a teachable thing for coaches. You know, here's how you go against elite players. This is how you have to perform. Um, so guys like Poitra, who are, you know, 18 or 19, essentially, still have to go back to the junior ranks. Um, and there's a more more language in there that's specific to the, the types of players. We did see that, you know, Shane Wright, who technically fell just shy of the requirement of games to have had his whole season counted in the in the OHL, is was granted the opportunity by all parties to go play in the AHL this year. So that's a little bit different. Um, a guy like Poitra, if he's not playing on the NHL roster, he has to go back to the CHL. That's the, that's the key. Um, and so if he starts struggling and things aren't going well, the Bruins probably owe it to him and to themselves, you know, long-term to send him back and let him play junior hockey. So it's not ideal, but it is what it is. And that's the way it's going to stay. All right. Our last question of the day comes from Pete and he asks, has anyone correlated prospect success against tougher competition, high pressure with later career success, i.e. in the playoffs, international tournaments, frozen four, et cetera. Does that tell us more in isolation than their overall body of work? Great question. And one that I think is very difficult to answer. The first thing I'll say is I don't know, and I haven't done it myself to examine success at those uh, those those tournaments and playoffs and how it translates. Um, there have been plenty of players that had amazing world junior championships, amazing world under 18 championships, and didn't go on to great success. There have been plenty of players that have had great success in playoffs and didn't have any NHL success. What I think is important is that it is an it is a very valuable piece of information, how a player plays in those events, how a player does when the stakes are higher, when the spotlight is brighter, all of that I think does get taken into account, but all as part of the bigger picture. We've seen guys like, let's say, Dennis Godla, who was an all-world goalie for one World Junior Championship. He never got an NHL deal, never really, you know, he's, he's, he's been a European pro. You know, that happens. There are guys that get hot at certain times, but that's why it's important to look at the entire body of work. If you look at the whole body of work, and you make you know you make the most educated decision. You don't. That's not to say that teams won't wait the way a player plays at the World Juniors. I think you look at Nico Heischer. I think his his uh, he was stapled to number one after his World Junior Championship. That's my opinion. I I know that's not the case because there were teams that didn't have him number one. There were teams that say they had Kale McCarr number one, and there were teams that may have had Nolan Patrick number one, but. But after that World Junior Championship, I think that was what sold a lot of people that Nico Heischer can be a big game player. So I'm not saying it doesn't sway things. It absolutely does. Um, you look at Easton Cowan this last year, how he played for London in the playoffs in the OHL this year, in my mind, undoubtedly put him on a path to the first first round in the eyes of the, the, the Maple Leafs that put him in the first round because he was so good in the playoffs and it was a great, um, you know, great job by him to to push things forward and and to make a name for himself at the toughest time of the year it's also the last impression that you make on the ice so a lot of very interesting and intriguing things that kind of happen in uh in those discussions but that's certainly part of the discussion hey he didn't play all that well at the world juniors hey he he was stapled to the bench in the playoffs you know those different things it all matters um and so i would uh, it's interesting you know pete maybe i'm going to have to go and do some more research now and see if we uh circle back to this one and 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 see if we can find any correlation but you know there there are obviously you look at kind of some of the guys that have been the best at the world juniors who led the world juniors in scoring last year Connor bedard you know who who led it a couple of years ago led team usa to a gold medal trevor zegris you know in the mix for for, for gold medals and, and, and Calder trophies and everything else. Matty Beniers won a gold medal at the World Junior Championship, was a key player at that event. So there's a lot of things that happen there. So very fascinated to see exactly what all happens. And, you know, I, I think that with these players, uh, with, this, uh, with these events, um, you know, 
there there are opportunities for players to stand out and to make a better case or a stronger case or strengthen their case to be an NHL player. So I don't think it's without merit that uh, we look into those events and, and sometimes put a little more weight on them. Uh, but I do think that all, more information is always better than the small samples. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. Uh, huge thanks to all of you that asked questions. Thanks to Justin Cohn for joining us. Thanks to Amanda for producing today. And thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget, ECHL season begins on October 19th. Watch games throughout the entire weekend, including a free game on Facebook and YouTube. You'll see the Tulsa Oilers and the Utah Grizzlies go head-to-head on Sunday afternoon across Flow Hockey social media. And you'll also see a USHL game on Saturday night between the Lincoln Stars and the Sioux City Musketeers. So make sure you check those out as well and get a little bit of a, a free sample of Flow Hockey, if you will. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a follow across all social platforms. We're on TikTok, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, all that stuff. And always, please, subscribe to this podcast, watch us on YouTube, watch us on Flow Hockey, and leave a kind rating and review on your podcast app of choice. That's going to do it for this week's episode. My name is Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. We'll catch you next time. 